Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's August the 24th. 2021. It's early on the West Coast, 8.30 a.m. I've got up early because we're in an early morning mood today. We're going to do a math lesson. It's probably the best way to lose whatever audience I already have because most people consider math, including myself, to be incredibly boring. I was terrible at it at school. Uh, The only way I ever passed any classes was paying other people to take my exams. I should never admit publicly, I guess, that I cheat, but of course we all do, and I did especially at school. Uh, Math, though, could possibly have some value. Uh, An LA Times piece, um, an op-ed piece of all things about math uh, last week suggests that math isn't supposed to be beautiful. Math isn't supposed to be useful. It's supposed to be beautiful. I'm quoting the the piece. Apparently, um, uh, everyone feels guilty for not understanding math. Forgive me, Father, but I did not understand algebra, which is uh, perhaps a a refrain of a Catholic child. Um, uh, The op-ed asks, do we listen to Coltrane because jazz is useful or immerse ourselves in a Rothko painting because it's practicality? Uh, The joy of food comes not from amino acids and proteins, but it's look and smell and taste. The implication of all this is that math is beautiful, Uh, but not necessarily useful. My guest today on the show, I think, though, would disagree. Uh, He's someone who is doing a very good job of popularizing math and making it useful. He's the author uh, of a new book, The Ten Equations That Rule the World. He's a self-described mathematician teaching at a university in Sweden. His name is uh, David Sumpter. Uh, David, um, Mm. I want to bring you in. I'm going to bring you in. Um, Ten equations that rule the world. Um, Is math useful? Is that the core argument in your book? I think maths is is very useful. And I think that's kind of why we have to learn it at school. But I think the core argument in my book is maybe not so much that maths is that the kind of you know you need to have maths to have a job it's more maths is a a way of thinking and you said you're not very good at maths and I don't really completely believe that because I think many of the ways that we think are related to mathematics and what I try to do in the book is I try to say well lots of the everyday problems that you encounter in your life Uh, things that you encounter going out on social media, things you encounter when you meet new people, should you trust them, things you encounter like booking a hotel, looking at the stars that you see on TripAdvisor, how should you make a decision if you should stay in a hotel or not, all of those kind of very practical problems, you can use a combination of your own thinking and mathematical thinking to address them. I, I liked your your introduction there, and I think we should talk a little bit about more about this because I think my mathematics is almost the opposite of that beautiful mathematics. Mine is the kind of messy, everyday mathematics that just helps you become a little bit of a better person, and it's not the kind of 
beautiful better person no not necessarily morally better person david uh um a person who deals with the world better i'm curious in the way you Mm. presented math are you suggesting that somehow in the architecture of our mind or our brain there's a, a mathematical logic that uh, borrowing some language from the philosophers or from the ancients uh, mm. there's something in the thing of itself about math in our mind exactly and I deal with that idea in the book so if you start with the idea of Plato mathematics, now that's the kind of beautiful mathematics that there's a perfect form of things. And you look at a triangle on paper or in mathematics and it's the perfect triangle, the perfect perfect representation. And then the world is all kind of messy triangles. Now that's one way of viewing it, but that's not the way that I believe in. In fact, I think that that's just wrong. I think what mathematics is, is it's a written down form of how we think about different problems. And so I, uh, to take a, a very concrete is this, example. Um, I'm guessing that this is um, a, a perpetual theme in the philosophy of math, the philosophy of mm. science, that, uh, that, 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 that math somehow reflects our minds. Is that fair? Exactly. So, so the, the Plato thing that I, anal- uh, that I outlined there, that's the opposite. That means that it's somewhere in the heavens. And really, that can't be true because it's, there's no more evidence for that than there is evidence for various types of gods and so on. So where is maths? Well, no, it, it is in our heads. So we're always thinking in mathematical ways. What mathematicians like I do is we formalize that, we write it down, and we just make it a little bit tighter so that we can actually reason um, in a rigorous way. And I can explain my reasoning to you, and you can explain your reasoning to me in the language of mathematics. Are you not keen on, on Plato, David? You're suggesting that uh, he's in the clouds, that he's an idealist, that his I, approach to math of creating platonic numbers is uh, wrong? I mean, I, I think he's not. Yes, he's, he's wrong. I mean, I think that's widely agreed upon now. It was a nice idea at the time, and, and I loved that idea. When I first read all about the, the cave and the shadows and that we're, we're the shadows and the reality is somewhere else, that was extremely appealing. And it's a bit like, I think, the, that the article you said at the start with the beauty, that there's this kind of abstract beauty that we're appreciating somewhere. Um, that's nice as a, as a sort of idea, but that's the Platonic idea, and, and it's just wrong. Who's the opposite, why, then, of Plato as a mathematician? Who's the... The meat, and ve- the, the meat and vegetables um, mathematician who you think gets it right. Who's your hero as a mathematician? No, I wouldn't say I, I don't have a hero as a mathematician on that front. Oh, you must do, David. You've got to have a hero. But, 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 but let, me, let me say, well, I have a mathematical hero. I suppose my mathematical hero is Alan Turing. Um, he invented right. mathematical biology, how you, empl- you employ mathematics in biology. He invented the computer, how you do that. He also talked about artificial intelligence for the first time. So he was very practical. But there is a philosopher also, and uh, the philosophy which supports this type of idea really is logical positivism. So if you go back to uh, people like A.J. Iyer, who worked out why Plato just couldn't be right, that he was just making up this. Freddie Iyer, Freddie Iyer, the great British. exactly. Um, Here's a question for you, David. I'm sure you can answer that because you're also an expert on the beautiful game. Who did Freddie Iyer support? I don't know, actually. I really don't know. Was it West Ham? 
<laughs> you, you know Someone the answer. like Freddie I support West Ham. Absolutely not. Well, that's your homework for today. You can go away and uh, and check that one out. Well, you're so let, let's get back to the, the book. So philosophy. you have the ten equations that rule the world. You you're doing your own Da Vinci Code, and uh, mm. I know you're you're quite keen on the Da Vinci Code. In some ways, it seems to be the the inspiration. Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, the bestseller mm. behind. Uh, the 10 equations that rule the world. What's the connection mm. between the Da Vinci Code and your new book? I think I like the conspiracy theory idea. So when I read the Da Vinci Code, it has this exciting start that there's a conspiracy all around the number phi. And uh, the phi is a solution to the golden rectangle problem. It comes up in quite a lot of different mathematical problems. And they present it as this kind of secret code and the more I thought about this, I thought, well, there is actually a secret code in mathematics. There's this code that we have when we write articles to each other, but it's all hidden in plain sight. So in the book, I build up this, this secret society called 10, and they are the owners of the 10 equations. And we, uh, I'm a member of 10, we communicate with each other in the language of mathematics, and we can do it openly and we can take leading roles in social media companies, in finance, in the betting industry, and use mathematics to talk to each other. And people like you who cheated in their maths exam, you don't follow what we're doing, and we can make a lot of money and become very successful. And so that's the sort of nutshell of, of the Da Vinci Code that I really do believe that there's a, a conspiracy. And I only realize myself I'm part of this conspiracy of mathematicians who control the world. Is it coincidental that you're part of this this group called the 10? And the number 10, of course, is the key number now uh, in the beautiful game. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I'm, I know I don't I don't want to I don't want to take the conspiracy too far. There's not really um, I, I think in the end, I come to the conclusion there, there is, I mean, there isn't a real conspiracy. I don't want to start talking about Illuminati and all of these these types of things. But um yeah, maybe there's maybe you can fantasize a little bit about this this conspiracy theory. Well, your book isn't really about fantasy; it's about equations that rule the world. Mm. I I did do a little bit of homework, not much for this uh, conversation, David, and I looked up the word equation. Um, the process of equating one thing with another was um, was 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 the definition um, that I came up with the equation of science with objectivity? Perhaps you might define an equation. Is an equation the core of math, or is it a separate science, or is it a piece of math? I think, um, well, equation of course is when you yes you have a equal to b and you're you're trying to work something out. I think what I was getting at with the book is you have a, a simple piece of mathematics. You have a simple idea which can be written down in one line, but can be used to solve a whole different range of, of problems. So for example, I take the confidence equation, how confident can you be in a particular piece of data? And that relates to if you're looking for a new hotel and you've got all of these star rankings, how many star rankings do you need to be confident that you can book a particular hotel? And I, I came up with a number 16 is quite reasonable there. So the equation tells you, and, and the same equation then can be used to solve, should you quit your job? It can be used to show that you'll always lose money when you're gambling. 
It can also be used to, for example, look at discrimination in the workplace. Are people being discriminated? You can look to see how people are doing in different male and females, different ethnic groups and so on. So one particular equation, one equation can describe many different things. So for me, yes, of course, you have the, the strict mathematical description of an equation definition. But the idea I'm trying to get across is that that one line, that one piece of the 10 societies secret code can be used in so many different ways. Your, your the, the 10 equations and I'm going through some of them now I'm reading from the book which I enjoyed is uh, there there is the judgment equation the betting mm. equation the confidence equation the skill equation the influencer mm. equation the market equation the advertising equation the reward equation the learning equation and of course perhaps borrowing from Plato the universal equation tell me about this universal equation uh, David w what is it and how does this help us? live life well to be honest the university you see you're you're you're, spo you're doing a spoiler here aren't you because we have to get to the end of the book but in the book the doesn't end, have an end it's like math <laughs> math doesn't have a beginning or an end does it yes it circles round again no I, I, that that's true but i think the universal equation is very much exactly as you said it's that sort of plato form of mathematics that there's an abstract world that a triangle. So if I say something like, you know, let's take a triangle, a triangle always has 180 degrees as its total angles. But having that in on its own, that those abstract ideas, those universal ideas that you can apply everywhere, they don't work unless you make a decision about how you're going to apply it. So when I talk about the universal equation, I get into quite a lot of moral problems. And I take up the um, the trolley problem this idea that you've got this trolley careering towards one person on a uh, track and should you change the direction of that trolley and make it go over i'm sorry you've got five people on the track should you change the direction of the trolley and make it go over one person instead and that's a mathematical that sounds like a mathematical well, it's the old ai problem i mean it's not yes it's not an old ai problem it's the moral ai problem that everyone seems to ask is if would you program an ai self-driving car to run over five fat people or one child <laughs> yes exactly how and does math help us with that though isn't the whole well, point of of the ai problem the trolley problem is that math can't help us no it is the whole point the math can't help us with that problem but often we get misled into thinking that math can help us with those types of problems. We get the idea that mathematics is a very neutral type of thing. We start with that beautiful idea that maths is very beautiful out here. Then we say, well, maths must be very neutral. It's just a kind of neutral, beautiful thing that we can apply to solve any problem. And we have to be really careful about that because that's not true. Whenever we use maths, we put ourselves into it. And it goes back to what you were saying at the start about maths comes from our head. Everything about maths comes from us as well. And so we have to be very aware of that, that we can't assume that maths is neutral. Maths actually has a lot of our own biases built into all of the decisions we make about how to use it. Well, let's go back to the definition. Um... Uh, the, the, the equation of science with objectivity. Is, is that what you're trying to do? Are you trying to make us more objective in your new book? Um, are so, you suggesting that we, and coming back to this issue of passion, 
subjectivity? Are you suggesting that if we can somehow listen to math and separate ourselves from our biases, from our subjectivity, we'll understand mm. these equations and, and be able to master the world more successfully? So yes and no. So I'm saying yes, there is objective ways, which we call mathematical models, of handling data about the world. So what we've got to do is we've got to break, we've got to use those objective tools, but we've also got to realize that we're always putting subjective data into those tools. So I recommend a, a, a way of thinking which breaks the world down into the assumptions that you have um, and the model you use and just a load of nonsense which doesn't apply to any of those types of things. So whenever you, and these assumptions, they can come from subjective thinking about the world. The data is the thing that you see outside and you put your assumptions and your data together inside your model and then you can um, build conclusions. I have, a, I have a very concrete example in the book about if somebody has said something nasty to you and you've just met this person, should you conclude that they're an idiot or not? <laughs> and you can take all of the, the, the data you can if, if they've just said this one thing then you actually know that there's I don't know how many idiots you think there are in the world but let's assume that there's just uh, one in 20 people are idiots I would and say 19 say, out of 20 but <laughs> okay but well, then you you immediately should conclude that this person is an idiot that's uh, that's probably what you should do are you turning math then into a kind of social science or are you doing you away it. with the the boundary between the, the, the social and the hard sciences? I think I think it's the latter. I'm trying to get rid of that boundary. So I don't really believe in that boundary. And it's it's kind of becoming blurred anyway, because as you said, we're starting to use artificial intelligence tools to tell us how we should live our lives and so on. So I think we want to blur it in the right way. I think we don't want to blur it in that everybody should behave like a robot. We want to blur it in in the sense that we're we're reasoningly lo reasoning logically, but we're allowing our subjectivity to come into that in the correct in the correct way. So I'm I'm investigating how we blur those lines. David, I, I'm not accusing you of this, but the typical mathematician seems to have a chip on their shoulder in terms of them being in a little corner in the room and everyone ignoring them. But isn't the <laughs> truth that mathematicians now? And maybe I'm rewriting the Da Vinci Code. Uh, mathematicians mm. really are running the world. And you note this in the book. I mean, the boys at mm. Google, Google itself was mm. derived from a number. The boys at Google were computer scientists. Uh, the two founders were sophisticated mathematicians. Facebook runs on algorithms. Uh, mm. Amazon is the ultimate mathematics company founded by Jeff Bezos, who was also a pretty good mathematician. And even YouTube runs... I was just watching your one of your YouTube presentations. Yes. Even YouTube runs on math. So isn't the world really run by mathematicians at the moment, or at least all the money, all the power um, is, is through mathematics? Absolutely. I mean, and I think this is a I mean, this is a massive challenge. And I think, you know, we could play that card maybe 20 or 30 years ago, we could play that card that we were these sort of oddball people who were interested in numbers and calculations and we sat around inside the university. But we just got, without any warning, we just got catapulted into these high-paying jobs, controlling the world and making various decisions about how it's run. So 
Google make all kinds of decisions about what information we have access to, um, what's important in the news and so on. Amazon control all of finance based on one simple equation that they came up with for finding popular books, you know, this also liked equation. And they've just been catapulted into these pieces of places of power. And I think what's most worrying is that us mathematicians, we like to take exactly that um, that position you said that we say, oh, we're the underdogs, we're the geeky guys that no one listens to, blah, blah, blah. And that's problematic because we are controlling the world and we're kind of like naive to basic moral questions that we should we should be addressing. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm spot on. I'm the, I'm the kind of anti-math guy in this sense. Well, you are and we you're should... not because you're... <laughs> Like all mathematicians, you want to turn the world into a big math project. Your last book, um, which is a big success, Soconomics, Mathematical Adventures in the Beautiful Game. Um, by bringing math into what we English people call football, what Americans call soccer, um, aren't you eliminating the beauty in the beautiful game? Is there anything beautiful about adding analytics you had a, a blog post that suggests that <laughs> analytics makes football more fun but i would actually argue the reverse i don't know what's beautiful uh, or fun about analytics i think yeah you've, you've really got me there um i think it's like this so normally i say i mean of course i wrote the article saying analytics can make it can make football more fun it and you were talking about your daughter, who you're, yes, exactly. you're, you're clearly trying fun. to make interested in, I don't know whether you're trying to make her interested in math or football or both. Precisely. I mean, that was the thing. She wasn't very interested in football and I managed to get her interest in football through analytics. So, um, and through mathematics. So um, it's not, I'm, I'm definitely the person who doesn't argue. Wait a minute. That was a double negative. I don't argue for that maths controls everything or should be part of everything. In fact, I make it clear in all my books that it's it's more about combining the two. It's about keeping that idea of beauty that has nothing to do with mathematics. I don't find mathematics particularly beautiful. I find football beautiful. And it's keeping that idea, but then also saying, well, you know, if we if we use maths, we can have a little edge over those types of things. And we can make a few better decisions in football. And you see that in all kinds of sports. And that doesn't contradict the the enjoyment you get from watching the game. It just adds another perspective in how you do things. Football, of course, is deeply tribal. Um, mm. That's, I think, what drives many people's affection for it. What's the connection between tribalism and math? Well, and and can equations like... explain our irrational tribalism, our love of clubs who we have no association with our willingness to even fight for them i think maths can partially explain it it can also model it i mean we're just incredibly social animals and one in, uh, my own work my own research has a lot to do with animal groups so it's also to do with fish and um ants and how they work together in groups and humans and how they work together in groups so what you can describe about all social animals is that we just love coming together in various ways and and in maths we we model it as something called positive feedback that one person will start doing an activity another person will see often often it actually takes two people so you have two people do an activity then that activates another person 
to start doing that activity. And then there's three, and then another one comes along and sees the three doing it, and he's even more um, likely to engage in this activity. And quite soon, everybody's doing it. And you see that exactly in this sort of tribalism that we just love to copy each other and to start behaving in that way. And that becomes something that you can model mathematically. And the models that you can use then, they're exactly the types of models that social media gurus then use to try and predict our behavior and how different memes will spread on the internet and how we'll become engaged in some, some things. So it's not necessarily that we can completely describe why tribalism is there. It's more that we take that tribalism for granted then we can explain through a, a process of positive feedback how we come, become sort of engaged in those different activities. One of the narratives in the book, David, is betting. Uh, you, mm. you meet a couple of aspiring professional gamblers and you, you, you follow them and you do some, some gambling of your own on the, I think it was the 2018 uh, World Cup in, in Russia. Mm. Um, should mathematicians become gamblers um are all equations in themselves a form of gambling or are they certainties i think most of the yeah there's the certain there are some equations which are certainties and some most of them are probabilistic though most of them are ab about controlling randomness and in the case of so they gamble so you're sort of gambling on gambling by by using math as a as a as a as a matrix as a as a model for 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 figuring out for winning money in gambling i think what most people don't understand about gambling is that it has very little to uh, little to do with like the quality of the teams that are playing against each other it has everything to do with finding small biases in the odds and that's what uh, marius and jan i talked about in in the book did is that they looked for they maybe looked at 10,000 matches of german football and they found that Germans were slightly pessimistic. Surprise, surprise. Found, yeah. <laughs> and they found also, you're not going to be too surprised by this one, Brazilians are very optimistic. They think there'll be lots of goals in a match. So Germans think there won't be many goals. Brazilians think there'll be lots of goals. All you have to do is find that small bias and bet in the opposite direction. Now, I often get like people ask me for, because they know I do this betting, they ask me for tips on matches, you know, an upcoming match. And then my tip will be typically something like, well, back the favorite, and then you're more likely to win money, which is a very boring tip. And the point is that you have to actually bet on thousands and thousands of matches in order to make money using this pessimistic Germans and optimistic Brazilians model. And so you have to be sitting there betting on lots and lots of matches in order to get that little edge. But you're betting against culture, essentially. You find out what the... The, the particular fetish, the particular uh, indulgence in a culture is, whether yeah. it's too much optimism, too much pessimism, too mm -hmm. insular, too, ex uh, too universal, and you bet against it. Exactly. And, and you, you, but you find that edge. You can't, uh, although that one happened to meet some stereotypes that we might have believed in, um, what you have to do is you have to statistically find that edge. You have to find what are the odds being offered on these matches what is the actual performance in those in those particular games and then you can find that little bias and it tends to be just like one or two percent and then you have to actually then you have to be very careful because bookmakers tend to take about six percent so if you've got a one or two percent odds uh, edge on a bookmaker who's taken a six percent from you you're still going to lose money so you've got to actually find a whole range of bookmakers 
Are bookmakers smart, David? Are they are they essentially relying on AI too? Do they know what they're yeah, doing? They're, uh, yes, they're they're relying on exactly the same methods that I'm talking about here. So when Jan and Marius come in, they're kind of small fry compared to yeah. These are the couple of big... kids who, who 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 made a lot of money actually betting on professional uh, football. Yeah, so they they made in 2019 they made 800,000 euros on the basis of this. And I I would stress that this was a full-time job. They set up a company. They worked extremely hard, but then mm. they were able to to make I hope your daughter has been inspired by that. You may not make her interested <laughs> in math or football, but maybe she can make some money. David, is there a particular football club that mathematicians you think naturally follow? Well, that's a really good question. I think I mean uh, Brentford are owned by Matthew Benham, who is one right. Of the you first mentioned in the book, who, 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 who's yeah, a, so, so, a very successful so I think, gambler. I think mathematicians have a kind of like everyone likes them. They're kind of special in some sense because they're using. They're right from the start. They were using those methods. Then, but I, when I when I talk to, I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan, and um, I found that actually to my embarrassment that lots of analytics types of people are also Liverpool fans so there does seem to be a bias in that direction but that could also just be my generation I think. Well finally David as I said you're the the author of Soconomics as well as the 10 equations that rule the world. Um, when we look at the English Premier League after two games <laughs> West Ham United are on the top and Arsenal are on the bottom what does that tell us? Well, I might be a West Ham fan now, I suppose, as they're on the top of the league. Yeah, he's but, dead. Um, he? <laughs> oh, no, he's certainly very dead. Um, you would expect, I us... mean, you should have known who I have follows. It's obvious, <laughs> but I'll tell you after the show. Okay. Um, There's uh, a historical context as well, of course. Okay. I'm trying to think about what this should be. Anyway, um, I, I want to tell you what that table tells you. It tells you absolutely nothing. I mean, it's like two games of football and it tells you, well, yeah, it, it tells you approximately nothing. I say that you actually need to look at six games of football or you have to have six games in order for you to have some idea about what the story might be for the league. So, yeah, Arsenal at the bottom um, and they've lost two games. It probably isn't going to be a great You can say that again, them, David. But... Say it again. Go on. <laughs> Arsenal at the bottom. Arsenal yeah, at the then... bottom. Ooh. <laughs> Well, David Sumter, oh. the very entertaining uh, author of The Ten Equations That Rule the World. It's it's a really excellent read, um, and it makes math understandable for schmucks like myself. Uh, David, you're in Uppsala in Sweden mm -hmm. doing your math. What else should people be reading in these strange times in addition to your new book, uh, The Ten Equations That Rule the World? By the way, it was out in the UK last year. It's just out in the US. Mm. Yeah, you, you threw me through this on me that I'm going to tell you about some other books, but I, I tend not to read um, too much nonfiction myself. I read a lot of fiction and I'm a big being living in Sweden. I'm a big fan of Carl Orbe Knausgård, who's a Norwegian author. And I love these big, long, auto fictive um, types of books. Didn't and he just write a book about football, too? He did. He did write a book about football I was with a, a Brazilian journalist. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed in that. It was just some kind of random letters that they'd written to each other. So no, I was a bit disappointed with that. I prefer the ones where he talks about his uh, growing up in the in the 70s and 80s. And then um, what I, I brought these down from my bookshelf. I don't have the best ones here, but I've become a really big fan more recently of Rachel Cusk. Uh, this is one of her earlier books. And um, 
yeah, this is this is more a sort of autobiographical one. But she she wrote a a a, a, a trilogy of books, starting with uh, one called Outline, which I think are some of the greatest um, books in that genre of autofiction. It's it's kind of like it's describing what other people say which kind of gives a whole picture of the character themselves which i which i really well, you shouldn't really apologize like. david uh for for reading fiction or, or perhaps you're slightly embarrassed as a mathematician what does our affection for fiction tell us about math can we combine the two i think i'm tempted to say no i, th I think i do want to keep you know i do want to like we started this discussion around beauty and what is beautiful and to me, fiction is something that's completely beautiful and, and really captures everything, the whole range of things that we see in humanity. What I'm doing with maths, and I, I kind of I try to use in my own writing, I try to use not fiction writing, but I try to use kind of the ideas from fiction because I think maths can't, maths is dry and it's just a part of life and it's part of a much bigger picture of life. So no, fiction is beautiful. Maths is this little part, which is very important for you to know about. Well, David, uh, maybe if you come on the show again, we can talk about great fiction writers who are also good mathematicians or perhaps good mathematicians who were failed fiction writers. Real yeah. honor to have you on the show. You've been a very entertaining guest. I just need you to repeat one thing from the table. What is it, David? <laughs> the arsenal at the bottom yeah okay. arsenal at the bottom that's what we all want to hear david sumter the author of the 10 equations that rule the world and who was told the world that arsenal was on the bottom a pleasure honor david we'll have you on the show again in the not too distant future keep well thanks very much thank you very much thanks